0: And welcome to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care Conversations on Healthcare Reform. This podcast features experts in the field talking about the most salient issues in healthcare reform.
1: Welcome to another episode of Unlocking Accountable Care. I'm your host, Emily George, and today we have Gustavo Torres with us. Gustavo is recognized nationally as a leader in the tobacco prevention and control movement with a focus on youth and young adult populations. He currently serves as the Director of Youth Advocacy at the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids in Washington, D.C., an organization devoted to leading the fight to reduce tobacco use and its deadly toll in the United States and around the world. Welcome to the show, Gustavo.
2: Hello. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Gustavo, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey and um, how it's led you to your current work?
2: Yeah, you know, I really start off my journey as the 12-year-old self. Um, When I was 12 years old, I initially got involved in tobacco prevention and control through a club um, on my school campus. And it was at that point... Um, For me, just an extracurricular, something to do. Um, And as I look back, you know, nearly 25 years later, when I think about my journey to where I'm at professionally, all of it was really rooted in those first experiences as a young person at the age of 12 years old, um, as a volunteer engaging in an anti-tobacco group on my school campus. So it's so interesting just to think if we, go back and I I, I talk about my my 12-year-old self and really what was I thinking then and really what did I see my goals, my aspirations, my career path would be. And um, I couldn't even fathom um, that I would be where I'm at now um, when just even, you know, in my 12-year-old self, right? Um, So I think it's just such an interesting um, journey as a young person engaging in an issue that you see in your community. Um, so for me, I got involved in tobacco prevention at the age of 12 because my mom smoked. And I never liked it. She smoked around us, in the car, in the home. It was all over. Um, and it was at that time when I saw this sign on my school campus for this club, um, this anti-tobacco club. I was like, you know, my mom smokes. I don't like that. You know, let me see what it's about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I think the free pizza sign really was what they <laughs> really told me. Um, but I think as a 12-year-old um, really just identifying, you know, yourself, who you are, um, your own personal identity, you um, you know, at this point, um, there was this opportunity and got involved in this club, which really kind of changed the tra- trajectory of my life, um, but also my family's life, um, really focusing uh, a little bit more on health because so many of my family members actually smoked. Um, so kind of going, looking at my journey um, to what has led me to be here in Washington, D- Washington D.C., working for the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids was quite remarkable. Um, I think, as I mentioned, starting off as a youth advocate, you know, joining this club. Um, it was an advisor of that club who actually, for the very first time, not only made me feel like I had a voice and I could do something that was um, impacting my family. Um, and when I say do something, I actually stand up against the industry that is addicting millions of people all across this globe. Mm. Um, So at at that young age of 12, I didn't even realize the magnitude, the breadth and depth of really what the tobacco industry was doing, not only here in the United States, but across the globe. Um, All I knew was the impact it was having on my family and my aunts that smoked, my cousins that smoked, uh, my mother that smoked. And by starting to learn a little bit of information about the industry marketing and their practices, the death toll of the tobacco industry um, and these just overarching high use rates, I started to really learn that this was an industry that was really targeting and marketing and manipulating communities to use their product. And when use as intended could kill you. Mm -hmm. We all know nicotine is addictive and so I really started my passion um, just by, in tobacco, it was so personal to me, but then once Someone invested in me and showed that my voice really mattered, and I could actually create change, systemic change that wasn't, you know, just helping my my mom quit smoking. Um, but I could actually work on policies. I could actually work on educational initiatives. I could actually change the way my community, the way my peers, the way my family looks at tobacco, and change some of these norms that have been so institutionalized within our system for for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, So throughout junior high and then high school, I got more involved in this anti-tobacco movement, doing a lot more community education. Um, I went to my first rally in California um, at the state capitol to demand um, funding be restored for tobacco prevention programs that um, was diverted away. Um, And... We delivered this huge, large petition, and it was really on that day um, where I started to really build and understand, I think, even greater, not only the the magnitude of my voice as an individual in this movement, but united with all these other youth advocates from across California. Um, So throughout junior high and high school, I got more and more involved, more and more engaged. And... All of those opportunities really led to further opportunities for greater growth and development. Um, all of the mentors and folks that I worked with in, in the youth advocacy space really provided key training, um, You know, brought in Toastmasters. So we all got certified in Toastmasters in public speaking. They brought in folks that... Um, you know, really talked about the science of nicotine, right? And how is this addictive? And then how do we actually help people quit? Um, Working on motivational interviewing, like teaching us real skills to then be able to assess and work with our peers and helping them address their nicotine addiction. So, it's so funny to me thinking, you know my twelve year old self kind of building to where I am now, it all really started with just some volunteer engagement working in a club or being engaged in a club um, on the school campus that addressed tobacco, something that my mom did that I didn't like, um, which then continued to fire, build such a fire and passion inside me. Um that's where, You know, right after graduation, I got offered a job. um, Well, an internship and then a a job in Sacramento, which was an hour and a half from my hometown um, as an intern, kind of working um, with this Youth and Young Adult Tobacco Prevention Project. And even at that time, I didn't even realize um, what my real career path was going to be. I was just starting college. I was just starting to think about um, really, what do I want to do when I grow up? And um, throughout those, those eight and a half years in Sacramento, working with youth and young adults um, from passing you know, policies on college campuses to restrict you know, tobacco use to um, working in bars and nightclubs to get them to sign voluntary policies not to accept tobacco industry sponsorship because the tobacco industry was finding every opportunity and way to target young people for addiction, um throughout that eight and a half years, I started to learn like I am a I I I am built to serve and um, serve my community and work for organizations and passion and, and build on my passion of youth engagement as a model of what authentic youth engagement looks like, um, which kind of led me to really realize like I want to, work on programs that really help to impact the health of our communities. And in doing that, education is one key aspect. But further, you have to change policies. You have to change systems and structures um, to be more inclusive and more open. And that's what actually took me to Boston, um, where we had the great opportunity to to work together. Um, But in Boston, I worked for the LGBT Health Equity Network. Um, which really was focusing on tobacco use within the LGBT population. So me being a gay male, it became even more personal as my passion for this issue um, continued to ignite even further, um, because as you get deeper and deeper into the tobacco industry and their marketing and the impact, you start seeing how across the board, um, no one is not no, no one is safe um, from tobacco. the tobacco industry's grips. Um, and LGBT populations were had such high rates of uh, tobacco use. And it was by design, right? The industry specifically targeted our communities for addiction. So throughout, um, you know, my work in Sacramento and working in the youth engagement space and then kind of Coming to with more of my identity and really what I want to do, um, it kind of brought me to Boston, where you know managing this that was focused on helping to address LGBT health disparities as it relates to tobacco control really allowed me to start doing a lot more technical assistance and support for uh, state departments of health and then community-based organizations. So really kind of bridging that gap um, between folks that are actually doing the work in community to departments of health who allocate resources, um, work on surveillance and data to assess the problems that they're seeing in their communities. So it just was kind of, for me, um, something that I never would have thought or saw myself, um, my 12-year-old self, um, you know, to be where I'm at now, which is at the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, kind of bringing all of my work full circle as a director of youth advocacy, really supporting young people, um, similar to um, ways that I was supported as a young person to really foster and build up this current generation of leaders to continue to take the charge. Because I think that's really um, the base and the passion point for my work. Um, and I think what kind of draws all of my work together um, over the last you know, two decades, um, specifically in um, my professional career.
1: Wow, you know it's just so neat to see. I, I you're like a picture perfect example of um, somebody who was so influenced, you know, during those formative years of your life, and then and then seeing that unfold, like you said, over the trajectory of your career um, into making you such a fierce advocate for this, and and then directly pouring back into young people. It's 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 an amazing example of how effective these programs are, you know, that are targeting youth. Um, And, you know, I'm curious, just could you tell us a little bit more about what is the mission of the youth advocacy um, at the tobacco, um, I'm sorry, the Tobacco-Free Kids organization that you're working at, and how are you involved in fulfilling this mission?
2: Yeah, well, you know, as you mentioned before, the campaign for tobacco-free kids were a leading force in reducing uh, tobacco's deadly toll across not only the, the, this country, but across the globe. And so um, our name, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, we really work on policies that help to not only prevent young people from starting, um, ensure that there's adequate access to prevention programming. So we really focus on supporting the Centers for Disease Control um, funding through um, the federal legislative process, right? We really um, focus on smoke-free air laws to help protect people from the dangers of the secondhand smoke. Um, increasing the minimum sale age of tobacco to 21 to increase uh, to help reduce the availability. Um, and access of these products that are marketed and designed to hook young people to our new initiatives. We're really focusing on um, flavor bans, understanding that most young people start with flavored tobacco products. Um, You know, back in 2009, um, flavored tobacco products were were banned, um, excluding uh, menthol cigarettes. But then as we've seen, you know, with the tobacco industry continuing to evolve, we saw these new products like e-cigarettes, which are, again, hooking a new generation of young people um, to flavored tobacco products. Um, so for the Youth Advocacy Department here, um, and specifically within the Youth Advocacy Department, Um, Within the organization, our goal really is to provide meaningful opportunities for young people to engage in this movement to really help them operationalize their passion um, for why they want to address tobacco control um, and help their peers, whether it's quit vaping or pass policies to protect um, their communities from the dangers of secondhand smoke or even pushing for flavor policies. It's really providing those meaningful opportunities for them to really engage. Um, And I think even more so really focusing on how this process works. So our mission is really kind of building up young people and their key advocacy skills to focus on a key issue that they're in, they, they care about now, which is tobacco prevention control, but really providing those core-based skills, those advocacy skills, some people call them soft skills, I really call them essential skills, of really how to engage in an advocacy process. So regardless of the issues that you see in your community, um, you'll be able to, to tackle them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I know um, I know you've been involved in in creating um, some online educational opportunities around advocacy. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those entailed and and just some concrete examples of how you have empowered um, young people to be more involved in advocacy?
2: Yeah. So, you know, the one thing that I, I think it's so important to note is young people. For generations, have been leading um, movements, and and I, I feel like every so often we see um, these large waves of young people really taking ownership of their community and their space. Um, and a lot of times, it's really hard for young people to engage sometimes in the advocacy process because either they don't understand truly how the system works, right? Because again, is these systems are built, um, but yet. Young people don't know how to necessarily engage in the system to change um, issues that they're seeing. Policies are being directed for them, um, not with them um, in many instances. And so um, here at the Campaign for Tobacco for Kids, when we were looking at a lot of the opportunities, um, we found a a challenge with traveling and doing a lot of trainings for young people um, in person. And so, you know, really looking at some of the limitations and some of the the interests for just folks across the country and wanting to gain further insight and resources on how to build up their advocacy, we launched the TakingDownTobacco.org platform, which was, it's an online training um, program that really focuses on training young people, not only in just the history of tobacco. So we have a brief tobacco 101, a brief um, rise of vaping to talk about the current uh, youth e-cigarette epidemic. But the crux of this program is really built around what we call our core four, which is the, the core four advocacy training. So messaging matters, informing decision makers, mastering the media and activities that take down tobacco. Understanding that if we really provide young people with the these key skills is one really understanding messaging and being able to identify their personal story and their their personal mission statement their why for why they're engaged in this issue really does provide that through line to when they're working with elected officials to when they're engaging with the media to really uh, ensure that their voice is being heard Um, and then more so when they're planning engaging events really kind of Drawing together, um, their their elected officials, their community, their me- the their newspapers or local media to really amplify and really pull together um, these. Um, Key ways to engage in the advocacy process. Um, so, with this program, it's been quite remarkable. We have over thirty thousand um, users that are actively using the the program resource, which is really great. Um, and the great part about having a learning management system, an LMS system, is you could not only engage young people with the the distance learning um, on their own time, but you could help to then track some of that engagement and do specific follow-up and targeted outreach for really what's next. Um, so with all of our core four courses, we built in really direct application of um, now what you've learned, now put it into practice. So whether it's emailing your elected official on a key issue that you're seeing in your community or writing a letter to the editor um, a couple years ago, we had uh, one of our youth advocates had a letter to the editor published in the New York Times. Um, so, you know, really it's, you know, providing those real skills. And I think I really focus and the whole training program and even just our engagement model here, the campaign focuses really on experiential learning. If we aren't, you know, putting into practice what young people are learning in real time, um, you know, the, the, the knowledge gain is not as great, right? Like there's a, a lot out there um, that really focuses on youth development, and and by building an experiential learning opportunities, young people are not only is the information being cemented a little bit more, but it's even more tangible for them. Um, so by training these young people, and then they're working on campaigns that are taking place in their communities real time, they are operationalizing their passion that actually is creating true systemic change in passing policies across this country.
1: Mm. Wow. You know, um, I one of the things I just wanted to ask you about is like, I, I feel like as somebody who's watched this over time and been so involved at, in, in the many layers of this with um, young people, I feel like I've seen you know, shifts in time um, among young people's behaviors, their, their attitudes, their beliefs you know, about tobacco consumption. And I'm just curious, can you talk a little bit about what you've seen, you know, the trends over time and, and as you're continuing to work with young people in this space?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, we you're right where we actually started to see a huge decrease in youth tobacco use. Right. Mm-hmm. So over the last couple of day, decades, we were able to reduce youth tobacco use by more than 70 um, percent. And smoking, quite honestly, was at an all time low. You know, the the social norms um, really have shifted. And um, a lot of that is due to um, the educational advocacy campaigns that have taken place across this country. Um, Folks that are advocating on their state capitals or um, here in D.C. on on Capitol Hill, um, really kind of uh, addressing the the issue that tobacco still, um, to this day, is the number one cause of preventable death in this country, right? And so although we've been able to reduce tobacco use so much, especially amongst youth, um tobacco is still killing um our brothers our sisters our mothers our fathers our grandparents our friends our family uh every single day and so while we saw a huge shift in um, young people reducing not starting um and more adults, you know, trying to quit, and then great resources like the Tips campaign for CDC actually helping and providing um, promotion of quit lines to help adult smokers quit. Um, then all of a sudden, we saw the e-cigarette epidemic just explode, mm-hmm. um, which was really, um, you know, I, I, specifically we could look at companies like Juul, um, puff bars. Um, who actually have these flavored tobacco products? Um, and I don't know about you, but uh, you mm-hmm. know, gummy bear, cotton candy, um, uh, mango flavored pods, nicotine pods. Um, really are attractive to young people Mm -hmm. um you look at the packaging and you look at how this industry started to market the product they took you know pages out of big tobacco's playbook very much so and then with the acquisition of um when jewel and altria Um, merged, Um, it was just no surprise for um, Altery to want to purchase a huge stake in Juul um, because the bases, these are all nicotine delivery devices. They've really worked out a way to uh, addict Generations um, based on nicotine, and I think you know the industry really focused on you know hooking young people because then you have customers for life. Um, so so while we've made such huge strides, we continue to see this evolution of the industry in marketing um, and evolving and developing new products um, and, that are really hooking young people, and so. Mm-hmm. With e-cigarettes specifically, that's one of the huge concerns right now, is why did we ban flavored tobacco products? Because those were a gateway that were addicting young people, and in doing that, you saw such a huge decrease in youth initiation and use of these products. And now, all of a sudden, you have a company like Juul who came out with all these edgy social media-focused marketing campaigns, building in with influencers. Um, advertising in um, youth-focused arenas, it's no surprise that all of a sudden we saw a huge increase in youth e-cigarette use, which is now the this youth e-cigarette epidemic um, that has impacted us all across this country. Um, and again, it's the key driver is flavors, um, and the industry knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Well, it's. I think one of the things that you said earlier um, is just sticking out to me about how do you get young people involved in the messaging that's directed to young people versus um, the messaging that's directed at them? you know. And I think that among many things, that's probably one of the most important things that you're doing with your work is um, from the inside out building in that ownership and Um, Just the market research around, you know, how young people can possibly be prevented from even starting. I mean, I think that that's one of the excellent things that um, I'm just drawing out from the things that you've said before. Um, It has to be so important. And you know, I, I feel like we're actually getting to the end of our time and I could talk about the e-cigarette thing for a long time because um, it's just so disheartening after all the incredible work that you guys have been doing. But I feel hopeful and confident in the work that you guys are continuing to do. And I would love just as we're wrapping up for you to share um, what's next for you and your work. What are some new ideas and strategies that you guys are involved in? Um, and, and if you want to talk specifically about how you're targeting the e um, the e-cigarette um, epidemic, you can. But what's next in general for you guys?
2: Well, I think the biggest thing is um, really advancing policies that restrict flavor tobacco use, um, including menthol cigarettes. I think this is huge. Menthol cigarettes just unfortunately, impacts Black and brown communities across this country. You have flavored e-cigarettes that are driving new youth initiation of these products, hooking them for a lifetime of addiction across this country. So really um, passing comprehensive flavor bans that really focus on uh, reducing, again, that access and availability of these products um to continue to disproportionately impact communities um, especially our young people so i think that's one thing that you're starting to see massachusetts was the first state to ban flavored tobacco products including menthol um, mm-hmm. and there's been a number of states to follow um, so i think at, over this next year we're going to start seeing even more campaigns that's really focusing on this issue but then more so um, federally looking at federal legislation that does just that as well um So there was a bill, H.R. 339, um, in January that was passed through the House um, that really would focus on um, banning flavored tobacco products, including menthol, um, along with a variety of different um, restrictions, again, to ensure that we're putting America's youth first and their health first um, and not addicting them um, to these products which then carry disproportionately the health burden, right, Um, from the addiction. So, you know, as we're really looking forward in the youth advocacy space here at the campaign, it's continuing to provide opportunities to train, engage, and mobilize and activate young people really authentically. listening, working in partnership with them of what they're seeing in their community and how we could work together. Um, young people are the 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 ones most impacted by a lot of these policies, but they're impacted by the tobacco industry's, you know, continued marketing and bombarding them um, with their products and trying to change social norms. Um, so I think looking forward, I, I think there's a lot of progress um, that we're going to see over this next uh, year, these next couple years, to hopefully address this e-cigarette epidemic, but then further continue to build young people's advocacy skills to not only take on this issue but continue to advocate for additional issues they see in their community.
1: Gustavo, thank you so much just for joining us today and and sharing your work with us. It's been really insightful.
2: Great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. Thank you for tuning in to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. Day Health Strategies is a Boston-based, mission-driven healthcare consulting firm specializing in providing timely and effective solutions to complex problems in healthcare. To learn more about our work, please visit our website at www.dayhealthstrategies.com. Or follow us on Twitter at DayHealthStrat. Just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of DayHealth Strategies. Our producer and host is Emily George. Editing is done by Kate Gotung. Special thanks to Purple Planet for the use of their songs.